Father, um, may we somehow slow down from all that excitement. May we calm our hearts, have a posture before you to learn, to love. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, and feet that want to run towards obedience. May your word bring transformation power to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Anyone remember um, what we talked about last week, what chapter we were in? Six. We were in John chapter six last week. So we're going to continue there again, and we're going to wrap it up today, which means um, next week we'll be in John chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to verse 41, and um, if you don't, you can follow along on the screen. You guys ready? All right, here we go. John 6, verse 41. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here, so it's going to um, take, me, take me a minute. At this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard, heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread, whoever, uh, sorry, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And can you turn me down just a little bit, Bill? Keep on hearing it. Thank you. That's better. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, I am the bread of life. If you consume me, if you receive me, then this, this will sustain you into eternity forever. Very similar as the woman at the well, right? Consume me, eat this bread, eat my body. And you'll have life forever. But yet they have questions. You know, these people might, might have understood the Old Testament scriptures. I, I'm assuming they did. But we understood that where, where the Savior would come from, which region he would come from. Not only do we understand which region he would come from, we understood that he would be a virgin birth. But yet they have someone here who's somewhat claiming all these things, and they doubt it. They said, aren't you the son of Mary and Joseph? Like, 
We know where you, where you came from. <laughs> you came of a, of a woman. You didn't come down from heaven, and now you're claiming that? Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat, my f- eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. We need to make note of that, don't we? I want to be raised up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes, or that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, how weird is that? Imagine... <laughs> I mean, we understand in the context, it would be really weird for me to say this because I'm not Jesus, nowhere close, only covered by the blood. But imagine you have a teacher then going into great detail and saying, hey, the only way for you to have eternal life is to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. You're going to think that guy's kind of weird, aren't you? I mean, that dude needs to be at floor seven at Miami Valley. And floor seven at Miami Valley is the psych ward. So if you're ever in a conversation with Macy and I and we say, floor seven, you said something wrong. So I just gave you a cheat code for our inside jokes. So now we're going to have to find a way around it, right? Really weird, offensive. I can imagine the parents, if, if, if kids are around, to say, hey, man, we got, we got to get our kids out of here. Our kids can't be listening to this gory stuff. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You are off basis. So that sets the scene for our next several verses. And over the next several verses, we're going to see three attitudes, three attitudes that have come about based upon what Jesus had just said and is going to say. And I want to ask you, which attitude do you have today? Which attitude have you had over the past season? Are you the lukewarm? Are you the committed? Or are you the deceived? I think we're one of the three. Because really, we're one of the two. We're either serving Jesus or we're not. There's one of two kingdoms. So we're first going to look at the lukewarm. So if, you ha- if you're taking notes, which, which I encourage you to take notes and reflect on your notes and pray over your notes and make sure the things that I'm preaching is biblical as you overlook your notes. Um, the lukewarm Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then, then what if, uh, sorry, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who did not believe. For Jesus, had no, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who betrayed him. He, sent, uh, he, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is a hard teaching. <laughs> Who can accept it? You know, as the church today, this church, and um, the global church, the spirit moves, and we get offended, and then what do we say? Who can accept this kind of teaching? Anyone ever felt like the pastor or the teacher or your biblical friend has stepped on your toes and overcrossed a boundary? Raise your hand. Oh, oh, you're lying. I'm about to step on your toes right now then. We're just going to go right back to the book of James, and we're starting it over. Let's ask this again. Have any of you guys ever been stepped on by the Spirit of God? And have you ever been offended by something that someone has said, and you said, how can that be true, participating church? Thank you. We have been. I have been. I have friends who have come up to me and said, hey, you need to quit doing this. And I'm like, who are you? Now, they were right. But in my heart, in my defense mechanism, I'm saying to myself, that's a hard teaching. Who can accept that? I can't accept that. I don't want that. See, that's what was going on with these disciples here. They said, who can accept this teaching? I don't want to. And see, we have to be careful with that within the church because um, talking with someone last week, what, we, what, what ends up happening is we have, we have people who are full of the Spirit and then we have people who are full of themselves and then people who are full of the Spirit go home saying, God, God was working on me today. People full of themselves go home and say, that pastor was speaking to me the whole day. And then they pointed at whoever the pastor is or whoever the preacher is. What's important for us is to always have a position that's full of the Spirit. Because if you think, if, if, if it's always the, now look, maybe I'm a bad pastor. Let's make it plain, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not a good teacher. Maybe all those things are true, but here's what I'll say, is I've never taken the pulpit to give my personal agenda. So any agenda that I ever try to present is this, is Scripture. So if Scripture offends you and you find yourself going home suggesting that the pastor was mad at me or pointing at me or preaching to me or it was all Joey's fault then you have to say you might not be full of the Spirit during that moment. 
people who are not full of the Spirit, which, which right here, the lukewarm disciples were full of themselves. And because they were full of themselves, they were unable to receive the word that Jesus was trying to present. Amen? So as, as a Christian, as a believer, we need to make sure that we have humble hearts to be able to receive the word that God is presenting, even when it contradicts what our flesh wants. Because if I don't have messages that ever contradict me, then I'm probably not pursuing Jesus. So we must note this. It says, many of the disciples um, turned back and no longer followed him. <laughs> People always get interested in this. This is John chapter 6, and many of his disciples left on um, verse 66. So then insert sci-fi music, right? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Not good sci-fi music, but John 6, 66, Right? Many of Jesus' disciples had left. So, so who were the disciples that left? It wasn't the 12. It was actually the hundreds that were following him. So there were hundreds of what people consider themselves to be disciples that were following Jesus during this time. But just because they were following him didn't mean that they were real disciples. They were, how about this? They were lukewarm disciples, there was, um, there was no saving trust in Jesus. There was no allegiance to Jesus. There was no being born of the spirit of Jesus. They just followed him. It was like, you can come around Jesus, you can get an encouraging message, you can be encouraged after some kind of hymns or songs, you walk around some friends who are encouraging and you think aren't going to stab you in your back. And then you go home for the week and you feel good. See, we do that as well as Christians. The lukewarm, they come to church, they sit in the chairs or the pews, they participate or they do a good deed and they feel really good about themselves but they've never had that heart connection with Jesus Christ. There's never been that, that trusting faith. As I said a couple weeks ago, you can talk about trust in a parachute all that you want, but you don't really believe in that parachute until you jump out of the plane and use it. Are you using and trusting Jesus Christ the way that you trust a parachute? And I'll be honest with you, I don't trust parachutes. I'm not going to use them. I trust Jesus, though. Here, here's how much I trust parachutes. I use them to play the ball game in gym. I hardly even got under them because I'm going to suffocate. I don't care about the hole on top. So there were hundreds of disciples that had now left because they don't, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't like this offensive word. So, and here in a couple weeks, we're going to make it clear for those who are Christ's disciples. So I want to read you uh, just a verse to gaslight a little bit on uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. Here's, well, I won't read the verse right this second, actually. I'll read it here in a minute. But essentially, essentially what it says is this, is 
um, they, they didn't remain in Christ's word. Those, those who are Christ's disciples keep his word. So of those being talked about here, they didn't remain in Christ's word. They actually found it hard to receive this teaching. It rubbed them the wrong way. How many of you guys have ever been rubbed the wrong way in church? And you get rubbed the wrong way, and then you go home, and you get all huffy-puffy. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up in this church. I was away from this church for like five years, um, six years, whatever it was, as we were um, serving somewhere else. And then by the grace of God, and I, I believe the call of God, he called me back here. Now, um, I've been rubbed wrong in this church. I've been rubbed wrong as leader and as congregant. I've been rubbed wrong in other churches. We're going to get rubbed wrong everywhere we go. But do we trust Jesus enough to listen to him in spite of it? So what rubbed the disciples wrong that made them want to leave? I want to remind you of four things that offended them. Number one, this was in our scriptures the past several weeks. They were more interested in food, a political savior, and cunning miracles than what the miracles were pointing to. Remember, the miracles, what Jesus was doing was pointing to him as the savior. Look, the Messiah is right in front of you. But what did they want? They wanted more food from heaven. They wanted to see another miracle. What else did they want? This Jesus, he can perform miracles, he's powerful. We want you to take over Rome for us. And they just liked miracles. Number two, they were unwilling to let go of their authority, stifling them from taking the first steps of seeing Jesus for who he really is. We become our own gods. They became their own gods in their own opinion. They were unwilling to humble themselves and see Jesus for who he really was. They didn't like that Jesus claimed to be greater than Moses and exclusively sent by God. They didn't like that he was exclusively sent. See, look, we all have a calling and uh, we're all sent to go out and make disciples. But Jesus was exclusively sent. No one on this earth could ever fill his shoes. No one on this earth can ever fill his shoes. Exclusive. They didn't like that. Jesus, you're saying you're different than us. And you know what I say, say to that? Praise God. See, but we can hear that either full of the Spirit or full of ourself. And if Jesus was preaching exclusively to this congregation today and saying about him and his, him being the only way, I hope we would say praise God. God, thank you for sending Jesus and him being different than me. And finally, the fourth, the fourth point that they were offended by is they didn't like the bread metaphor as it became offensive to them especially when it came to eating flesh and drinking blood. So you have a crowd of 300 people. I don't know, maybe 300, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. 
You have this crowd of disciples, people who are following Jesus. And after he whittles down these four things, they say, yeah, I'm not going to follow you anymore. You're not tickling my ears anymore. Here's what I want to say is, I just encourage you to commit yourself to people, to leadership, and to Christ, who's biblically speaking, even when it hurts. This group of disciples was unable to be offended and see through it. Growth comes as we walk through offense. And this group of people were unable to. Now, in... um, our Sunday school this morning, Pastor Stu was talking about John chapter 15. Then he brought in Matthew 7. And one of the things that he was talking about is, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, right? Now, here's the interesting piece, is they will be, they will be pruned. Every good branch will be pruned. And then every bad branch will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So guess who gets cut in both scenarios? Everyone involved. Good branches get pruned, bad branches get cut. Cutting happens everywhere. So in this life, we are going to experience things that frustrate us, people who offend us. But are we willing to endure it for the sake of Christ? So not only did Jesus present a hard teaching that they were offended by, resulting in them leaving, they followed him until they disagreed. They followed him until they had to take ownership. They followed him until Jesus didn't entertain them any longer. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think of myself, and I think of leaders in my life currently, people who I submit to and people who I listen to, um, Christ, number one, um, the authority of the Bible, all included in that, the elders of the church, uh, pastor mentors in my life, my wife, um, my family. So there's moments where I disagree But what happens is, um, you know, over a trying season that Macy and I have had over the past four months, we've just been an open book to the elders about everything that we've been wrestling through. And we've been an open book because what I realize is um, when we go through hard times, we don't make wise decisions. So, So I've presented to the elders and church overseer, here's what's going on. Do you see anything in me? Do you hear anything? Is this the right decision? Can you help me? Can you hear me? Can you pray for me? And if, if they tell me I'm wrong, then I have to trust it because I recognize that all I want is to make things easier for me. I'm not gonna run from their rebuke. Um, we need the people in our lives to rebuke us and to sharpen us. Because on one hand, what we say is, I, I want to be sharp, I want to be molded, I want to grow. And then we get sharpened, and guess what? Then we point a finger. Then we say, I don't want that anymore. Or then we start grumbling and complaining. 
And what happens is my lukewarm spirit, my lukewarm commitment to Christ is exposed. I don't want the hard teachings, Jesus. I just want the prosperity gospel. And you don't see my cube up here today, so you're not going to get it. These disciples that had left, they didn't do what true disciples do. John 8, verse 31. The Jews who had believed him said, or the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you had, um, if, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What makes you Christ's disciple? If you hold to his teachings. Now, are you going to do it perfectly? No. Now, in my statement, am I giving you a reason to sin? Not at all. But who are Christ's disciples? Right here it tells us. Those who keep his commands. Now, you guys are all on board telling yourself, I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm going to do it. I'm not lukewarm because you've been wrestling through, hopefully, am I lukewarm with some of the things that he's saying? Am I, am I lukewarm within my heart? You were all about saying, I'm not lukewarm, I'm not lukewarm, I'm not lukewarm. And then I ask you this one question. And I'll ask you again, are you lukewarm? To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Are you lukewarm based upon holding to Christ's word? Are you holding to Christ's word today? Are you doing what he says today? Or are you lukewarm? There's also the committed. Verse 67. You do not... Want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. (laughs) To whom do I look? Where would I go? I remember reading over this scripture several weeks ago in preparation for today. And my heart broke because um, in full transparency, there's moments in ministry over the past 10 years. Macy and I have, as of July, we've been in ministry for 10 years. And um, I guess paid ministry. And um, I look back at those 10 years and there's just many moments you want to walk away. And I've hit those moments where I say, God, I'm just going to go work at Honda. I'm going to put in an application and I'm just going to go to Honda. Or I'm going to go learn a trade. Or I'm going to be a real estate agent. I think I'd be a good real estate agent. What do you think? (laughs) This nice crown molding up here. And you look here here at this trim and fresh carpet. Um, I don't even know any cool words to say about houses. Um... Do you like it or not? Oh, you do? Okay, let's put in an offer. So there's moments, true story, where it's just like, I want to give up. Like, 
I'm done. Because with ministry, when do you ever stop? It doesn't. There's not a switch that I can turn off because it's always Christ. It's always people. It's always loving. It's always helping. It's phone calls in the early morning or late at night. It's like always running and running. And when do I stop? And then someone says, well, what would you do? Maybe I'll go work at Chipotle. And they say, well, why would you do that? And then I tell them this, I'll go work at Chipotle and I'll pastor there. But here's what I realize is I've said this to God. I'm not smart enough to do anything else and I'm not equipped to do anything else. The only thing that I am qualified to do is to serve you the way that you've asked. That's it. There's nothing else I can do. Honda would decline me. The school would decline me. Chipotle would decline me. Why? Because it's not where God wants me. I can't run from it. Where else would I go? And that's frustrating sometimes. Because when I would get to that point and I say, where else would I go, God? What else can I do? Then you realize I'm helpless. I can't do anything without him. And it broke my heart that um, God is that good of a God that he's created a world that there's nowhere else for us to turn, nowhere else for us to go other than to him. And see, if we're not experiencing that kind of gratitude and that positioning, then we're missing it right now. We have to realize that he's everything. Every one of us faces this dilemma. Will we follow the crowd or will we be committed to Christ? As many of his disciples end up leaving Jesus, he turns to the 12 and says, do you want to leave as well? Now the original language suggests that Jesus is expecting them to say that they don't want to leave and they want to stay. And Peter responds, where shall we go? What else do we have? Who else do we have? You are all that matters. Is that your heart's cry today? Don't be the hero right now. Don't lie to yourself. Just be honest with yourself. Is that your heart's cry? Or have you been in a season where, where you've just been about fixing yourself, dealing with yourself, that you wake up in the morning and you worry about what you have to do today? And then you think about talking to God and you think about being honest with God and then the, gate, the day goes by and you, and you didn't do any of that. And then you're so tired and worn out from everything that you've been trying to fix and everything that you're trying to do that you have intentions to talk to God before you go to sleep, but then you get to bed and you fall asleep and then you wake up and you rinse and repeat. And then you rinse and repeat 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 and you say, why does my heart feel so cold? Why am I not connecting with the Father? Treat your wife the way that you treat God. See if you have one. Now, you know what? God's knocking at your door every morning. God's knocking on our door right now. God's knocking on many people's hearts today during the sermon about their commitment to him. He's using his words of scripture to say, open up your door. Let me in. 
Jesus, where else can I turn? Where else can I look? Who else can I help or can help me? Peter seems to recognize that. Seems, initially. Peter recognized this. He said, look, Jesus, four things. Jesus has the words and the way of eternal life. You can see that in the scripture. You have the words of eternal life, he says, in verse 68. You have the words and the way to eternal life. Where else would we go? So what Peter's really saying here is, look, what you have for me surpasses everything else that this world can offer. You have for me the way and the words to eternal life. Not just a a moment of happiness, not just a popularity, not just to fake peace within my soul. Jesus, you have the words and the way to eternal life. Jesus was, um, Peter recognized this, that Jesus was the Holy One that they believed in. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would you want to go once you encounter that Jesus is the Holy One that, that you believe in? There's nowhere else to go, is there? Peter recognized that Jesus was more valuable than material things. Peter recognized that Jesus was worth it. See, there's coming a time where our family members, someone within our family, maybe it's great-grandkids, maybe it's kids, maybe it's you or I, there's coming a time where we will have the choice as believers to receive a mark or to not receive a mark. To receive the mark of the beast. And if you don't receive the mark, guess what? You don't go to heaven. If, wait, if you don't receive the mark, thank you. Are you guys listening or do I always have to catch myself? Why do I always have to catch myself? Y'all are sleeping. If you, if you don't receive the mark and you face persecution, even unto death, you get to be with Jesus forever. If you do receive the mark, you get some material things. You get to eat. You get this moment of happiness. And then you go to hell. Because heaven and hell are real. Jesus is worth it. And see, if, if Jesus can't be worth it to us today, how is he going to be worth it to us when we face trials upon trials or our family faces the mark of the beast or you face the mark of the beast? Jesus is worth it. So are you the lukewarm or are you the committed? And then there's the deceptive. The deceiver. See, there's, there's many deceivers within the church as well. And you say, what do you mean there's many deceivers within the church? Well, we understand that based upon Matthew 7. Many will come to me and say, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? And Jesus says, plainly tell you, I never knew you. So there's many people within the church who are lukewarm or deceivers, and that's just the fact of the matter. 
Verse 70. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Now, it appears as though Peter was heading in the right direction, and I believe that he was, in verse 67 through 69. It believes as though he was headed in the correct direction. Where else would we go? Certainly a right statement. Certainly the appropriate statement. But um, it still seems a little pretentious to me. And you say, how do you get that out of that right statement? How do you get that Peter was being pretentious? Well, we have a history of Peter um, always seeming to have the right answers or jump in too quickly or say the right things. But Peter's statement here really feels like what he's trying to do is elevate himself above the disciples that left. Like he was better than them or that he had it together more than them and maybe he did. He never needs to tell them that he has it better than them. Either way, you say, why do you think that Peter was being pretentious? Um, Of course, number one, what we know about Peter and his attitude throughout Scripture. Number two, by um, his words, where else will we go? So he's, he's talking about the 12. Where else would we go? You know, like, why would, where else would we go? Like, we're the, we're the good ones. We're the real committed followers. It's not a humble follower then. But most importantly, by Jesus' rebuke. You say, well, where did Jesus rebuke? Well, Jesus rebukes him in verse 70. And he says this, have I not chosen the 12? Have I not chosen you? So what ends up happening is um, Jesus tells him, hey, I chose you. You didn't choose me. So Peter's flippantly um, yammering, yammering away at the mouth, right? And he says, where else will we go, God? Where else will, what else will we do? Who else would we serve? And then Jesus is like, chill out, dude, like, you didn't choose me. I chose you. See, we, we walk around life thinking that we're choosing Jesus when re- in reality, Jesus chose you. Jesus chose every single one of you today. You didn't choose him. And you know what? By your own devices, you don't choose him. Left alone without him, you won't choose him. Another day without his presence, you will be sinning like you've never sinned before. See, we, we can be like Peter and suggest that we chose Christ when in reality he chose us. He chose to die on the cross. He chooses to convict us of sin. He chooses to knock on our door and wait for us to open. See, Peter could have been a little bit more humble here, I believe, and understood that Christ chose him. Without Jesus choosing us, 
we stay in our messes. And you know what I say to that? Jesus, choose me today. Thank you for choosing me before I was even created. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to choose us. Yet even though Jesus chose the 12, there was still someone in that group who looked and played the part of a true disciple but was a slanderer, a deceiver. He was deceptive. And Jesus chose this person. The NIV called him a devil. Um, in the original language, it is um, the word diabolos, prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. So when you read the devil in the NIV, it's not necessarily saying he was the devil. But there was traits of the devil that Judas carried. What were they? He was prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. You know, um, I've shared this before. I'll share it again because y'all don't even remember what I spoke about last week, let alone three years ago. Jesus is the redeemer, amen? Jesus brings life. Who is Satan in scripture? The accuser of the brethren. So whenever we as human beings accuse another human being of something, what are we doing? We're participating in witchcraft. We're participating in a demonic act. Why? Because we're doing what the devil does. So the next time you want to gossip or slander or talk about someone, just know that your pastor told you that you accusing someone is a demonic act. You're like, oh, I don't like that message. We're not going to be your disciple anymore. We're leaving. Mark, is it just you who's going to remain? That's hard, isn't it? Because we can justify our slandering. We can justify our accusing. Hey, Joey, I just, need, I just need to vent about this person. Or, I got a prayer need. I need to share this with you. Or, since you're the church leader, you really need to know this. Well, um, I've, I've participated in too many stories of gossip because I thought that they were actually coming out of a need of me needing to hear. And I need to learn how to do a better job of stopping people and not pleasing them and entertaining their slander as they talk to me. I need to do better. Um, yeah, we probably all do. But how do we do that? Because you're like, if I just stop them, then they're going to walk out all weird or they're going to be mad at me. We just need to stand on God's word. But there was someone within this group who was a deceiver, a slanderer, and it was Judas, and Jesus knew that. But imagine being outside of the inner circle of the 12, and you see from a distance, you say, hey, look, 
Judas must have it all together. He's always with Jesus. He's always walking around. He's in the inner circle. I've seen them laughing and doing ministry together. See, Judas did enough to make the world believe that he was saved. Judas did enough to make the world believe that everything was okay. Are you really okay? Or is your heart so deceitful that you've even deceived yourself about who you really are? About who you're really following? I don't think there was one moment that Judas ever intentionally thought that I'm going to be the one who sells this dude out. I don't think Judas ever planned in his mind that that's who he was. But there were habits and there was a, a heart that was unwilling to surrender that got him there. And if as a church, and if as a nation, we continue to put on the front of Judas and slander about people and talk about people and gossip about people and have the wrong attitude, then one day when we face Jesus, it won't be exciting for us, will it? His life was a lie. I wonder how many people who claim to be Christians are really living a lie. I ask myself the same question. God, am I living a lie? Is my faith really in you? And then um, what do I come back to? John 8, 31. The Jews who had believed him to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are my, my disciples. So I ask myself throughout the week, God, am I intimately connecting with you? God, here's things that frustrate me. Oh, you want me to talk to this person? I really don't want to, but I want to keep your commands, so I will. God, I know I need to be in the scriptures. Thank you for giving me your scriptures. God, this really hurts right now, but I trust you. And I will not get revenge. What helps me know that I'm not the deceiver is by um, humbly surrendering to holding to the teaching of Christ. Amen? See, if you're not, if you find yourself, um, if you find yourself with a sailor's mouth all the time, if you find yourself cheating your employment place just a little bit, if you find yourself um, lying to your kids or, or your spouse just a little bit, just little white lies, if you find yourself watching more sports than reading your Bible or praising him, if you haven't found yourself in the word in a month or six months, might you be the deceiver who isn't who you think that you are? Now, I'm not saying works, but there is a reality of this. Is, um, I hope that you guys memorize it by how much I bring it up. Many, many people live on the wide road and enter through the open gate that leads to destruction.
destruction, and the King James is hell. Many people live on that road. But few people live on the narrow road and enter through the small gate that leads to true life in Jesus. Few people. It's hard. It's not easy. Few people choose to trust Christ in that manner. And then you have people who say, well, I'm just going to work my way to heaven. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to earn my way. So did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? And Jesus says, plainly, I tell you, I never knew you. I never knew you. So the person that Jesus says, I never knew you to, who are they? They were certainly lukewarm, but they were also deceived. They were deceived that they were following Christ. Because why, why, why will people talk back to Christ one day? Because they think that they did enough to earn their way, when in reality, when in reality they never knew him. Right? They, there will be people who will talk back to Christ today, trying to give their resume of why they should get in. Plainly, I tell you, I never knew you. Now, of course, um, we understand that the, that the no, I never knew you, it's being referenced there, is the, the knowing that Adam knows Eve very intimately. He knew her um, sexually. He knew everything about her. There was nothing hidden. Now, is God saying he wants to know us sexually? No. What he's saying is, there's nothing hidden from you. Nothing. You can have it all. Everything I am, I am yours. Holding nothing back. Anything short of that were either the lukewarm or the deceived. So as we wrap it up today, I want to provide you an opportunity to chat with Christ about whichever one you are. Just to talk to him about it. Are you the lukewarm who hangs out until it's easy and comfortable? Then when things don't go your way, you bounce? Are you the committed and you have no place to go? This is it. Or are you the deceived or the deceiver? The one who puts on the show in front of people, but really you are a slanderer and a devil within your heart. No atonement blood over your life. I'm not going to say which one you are because I haven't even considered. I'm going to use the word and present it and allow you guys to make your choice. But what I wanted to do is just provide, um, provide you a space to have a conversation with Christ. So um, if you guys would just close your eyes and maybe we could put some soft music on. I'm going to pray. And... Um, after I pray, you guys can sit in your seat, of course. Um, that's fine. But action leads to change, as I've said before. See, the servant boy could have sat where he was several weeks ago um, with the feeding of the 5,000. The servant boy could have stayed where he was, wherever he was in the crowd, and said, well, I have some bread. I have some fish. Jesus, Jesus could have it if he comes to me. But what did he do? He said, I'm going to go to Jesus. In humility, I'm going to offer everything that I have. So what the servant boy did is he 
took his stuff and he walked to Jesus and he gave it to him. Action lead, leads to change and that boy's action then led to change, did it not? So today, are you right with Christ? Maybe you need to um, repent of being lukewarm. Maybe you need to repent of being a deceiver. Or maybe you just need to respond in humility as the committed and say, God, I need more of you. I want more of you. I love you. Fill me with your spirit to give me courage to take on your mission and your commands today even greater. So, 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 so no judgment as you respond at the altar. None at all. But certainly... Um, be willing to respond at the altar because action leads to change. I'm going to pray. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I pray that, that you would uh, reveal our hearts to us right now. Reveal our hearts to us about who we are. And I pray that over these next several moments, Father, that as we respond to you, as we respond to you, Father, that um, you would make us whole, that you would help us repent, that you would help us humble ourselves, that we'd be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to play music for just a few minutes. You guys respond as needed. If you want some prayer when you come up here, or even in your seat, just raise your hand, and we're going to come to you. <laughs>